Okay, we are back. Time to get into this news. I'm your host, Raw Talk Radio, live and uncensored. Let's get into it. into law. This parliament has demonstrated clearly that the order of nature is clear. That a man goes with a woman. A he-goat goes with a she-goat. A cock goes with a hen. A bull goes with a cow. Right Honorable Speaker, we have further demonstrated. Okay, basically he's just, I see no lies here. I see no lies here. Okay, <clears throat> let's get into the article right now. Okay, here we are. Here we go. I mean, hey, the man telling the truth, man. He telling the truth. That's all you could say. Uganda anti-homosexuality bill, life in prison for seeing your alphabet. Okay. Oh boy. People who identify as gay in Uganda risk life in prison after Parliament passed a new bill on crackdown on homosexual activities. It also includes the death penalty in certain cases. A rights activist told the BBC the debate around the bill has led to fear of more attacks on gay people. There is a lot of blackmail. People are receiving calls that if you don't give me money, I'll report that you're gay. <laughs> They said the bill is one of the toughest pieces of anti-gay legislation. <laughs> Homosexual acts are already illegal in Uganda, but this bill introduces many new criminal offenses, as well as making merely identifying as a gay illegal for the first time. Friends, family, and members of the community would have the duty to report individuals in the same-sex relationships to authorities. It was passed with widespread support in Uganda's parliament on Tuesday. Amnesty International has called the bill, which criminalizes same-sex between consulting adults, as appalling, ambiguous, and vaguely worded. This deeply repressive legislation will institutionalize decriminalize, decriminalization, hatred, and prejudice against the LGBTI community, people, including those who are perceived to be LGBTI. What does the I stand for? and block the legitimate work of civil society, public health professionals, and community leaders, said Taigi Chagut, Amnesty International's director for East and Southern Africa. It has also been condemned by both the UK's Africa minister, Andrew Mitchell, and US Secretary, state, US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. The White House has warned Uganda of possible economic repercussions if the new law comes into force. Oh boy, what are you gonna do? Tell them they can't, what are you going to try and starve them? Like you've been doing that with many of the other African countries? I mean, come on now. They still, you've been putting more sanctions on them. They still do, they still 
are prospering. In the weeks before the debate, anti-homosexual sentiment was prominent in the media and activists who wanted to remain anonymous told the BBC. Members of the queer community have been blackmailed, extorted for money, or lured into traps for mob attacks, the activist said. In some areas, even law enforcers are using the current environment to extort money from people who they accuse of being gay. Even some families are reporting their own children to the police. The bill will now go to the president, Yari Mussini, who can choose to use his veto and maintain good relations with the Western donors and investors or sign it into law. He has made several anti-gay comments in recent weeks and also criticized Western countries for putting pressure on Uganda over the issue. Another gay rights activist accused the government of using the bill to distract the public from its failures to address some of its pressing economic concerns. Well, here's the thing, okay? If one of the economic concerns that people are not talking about here in the West All right. Two same-sex couples, all right, <clears throat> in Australia, okay, who did the same thing, what two same-sex couples did to those two foster, ki foster kids in Georgia. And Russia banned the U.S. from getting foster children from Russia. Not foster, not the U.S., uh, Basically, they ban same-sex couples from adopting foster children in Russia. Okay, that's what they did. So we had a little technical difficulty right here. All right. That's an economic concern because people are a valuable resource, especially children. Children are a valuable resource. Western nations want to play the lies and act like, uh, you know, like this is horrible. Like they're doing something that's completely inhumane, okay? But we're not talking about, you know, the numerous incidents of children who are abused in same-sex foster homes. We don't want to talk about that. Those same-sex couples usually get away with it. That's the issue here. And it's sad. It's sick and it's sad. And other nations who stand up against it are looked upon as villains in the evil eyes of mainstream media. 
They're going to drum up anti-gay rhetoric to divert attention from really what is important to Ugandans in general. There is no reason why you should have a bill that criminalizes individuals that are having consensual same-sex adult relationships. Claire Bararuba, LGBTQ plus rights activist, Chapter 4, Uganda, told the BBC. The bill's backers say they are going to try to protect children, but Ms. Barirapa said, whether you're a heterosexual or homosexual, the government and the parliament should introduce laws or at least implement existing laws that protect all children, boys, girls, from defilement. So the issue of recruitment has been unproven. It's baseless. It's biased. No, it's not. No, it's not. And you have their liars. You have their liars, just like you have liars. Okay, I just um, did a, uh, a video about uh, this um, transformer young transformer named jazz who was a boy and now is a girl and now is freaking out because he's realizing slowly he will re realize that his mother who groomed him and had him have surgery since he was five years old that what has been done to him is wrong and that he should love being a boy okay they're not going to tell you about those stories they're not going to do that huh they're not going to tell you that there are uh, a trans man by Alan's was Alan Walker, trans man, who was at Dominion, Old Dominion University. Okay, a professor, assistant professor, I believe, and was trying to normalize pedophilia by saying minor attractive persons maps instead of using when a person molests a kid a pedophile. Okay, they're not going to talk about that. Thankfully, that person was kicked out of Old Dominion University. But this is the game plan, all right? They want to bring this crap to Uganda. They're coming for the children. They tried their best with Obama when he tried to go over to Kenya and tried to introduce uh, the legalization of uh, same
man i i really can't uh i can't say enough praise for uganda you know i really can't but as we all know this is much much deeper much deeper okay than just uh you know the western countries getting mad that uganda's put up an anti-gay bill it's much deeper it always is it's not something just like Oh, man, you know, you're not going to let gays be married in your country. We're going to come and invade you. Nope. No, no, no. Okay. There's something more. And as usual, it's resources. That's what it's always about. It's resources. So let's take a look at this. Okay. That so we'll have to take a look no decisions is anything like here we are okay here we go is anything like sanctions or some other concrete measure being considered by the u.s side if this law should take effect yeah well first of all big if there right uh this is the parliament passing it it still has some process to go here um, we're, uh, we're certainly watching this real closely and, uh, we would have to take a look at whether or not there might be, um, uh, repercussions that we would have to take perhaps in an economic uh, way, uh, should this law actually get passed, uh, and enacted. Um, and that would be really unfortunate because, uh, so much of the economic assistance that we provide Uganda is health assistance and largely through PEPFAR. Uh, and uh, uh, you, you can see a world in which, you know, a law like this, should it be enacted, would not only, as, as Kareen rightly said, just be devastating to a whole community of people inside Uganda, but... They're threatening to say, if you don't let us have our, depra the, you know, our depravity in your country, we're going to starve you. It's basically it. We're going to starve you. We're not going to give you aid. They got other countries they could get aid from they could always ask russia they could always ask china all right i don't like the ccp but you could always ask other people don't have to be the western powers uh but if it were to have any kind of an effect uh, uh on our economic assistance that would only make that worse so we'll have to take a look no decisions we're watching this very very closely and uh, hopefully we'll uh, it, it won't pass and we won't have to do anything Right, right. Kirby threatens economic sanctions after Uganda passes anti -holy. Yeah, that's basically what it is, man. That is basically what it's about. Okay, that's what it's about. We can take a look at this. All right. Uganda gold claim versus total world gold claim. All right. It's about gold. See right here. Gold. It's always about resources. It's never about like some petty thing like what you do in your bedroom. Okay. They want to come after the gold. Sick and sad. Sick and sad. That's how it is, man. It's so tiring and sickening that this is how they want to be. Okay. 
All right. But we also got more of uh, more colonization that's going on. Okay. See what Mr. Lindsey Graham has to say. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> One more uh, stuff about Africa. Another breaking story about Africa. More, more to do, you know, to disgust you with. Sad. General Langley, I have constituents that have been scattered across Africa on train and equip missions. So just ballpark in the last decade, how many Africans has the United States military trained and equipped? Trained and equipped to start a coup. To get their resources, to put puppet governments. This is what the United States government does. And then they get mad and, you know, try to play victim. You put puppet puppet leaders in foreign countries that you desire to take resources from you don't expect the people to get mad about it okay just like in haiti just like i believe they tried to do in a, another south american country i can't bring up the name but they tried to do that and it was thwarted let's continue congressman i don't have that, that figure i can get that figure for you ballpark just you know how many no, uh, Congressman, it would be a wild. It would be a wild guess, right? Seems like something we should know, right? Over the years, um, we. The sad thing is, this is a black man doing this, having a having a career, selling out your own people. They're Africans. It doesn't matter. This is slavery all over again. House Negro doing the bidding of the master. Getting the willing field Negroes to betray their own people at the behest of the U.S. government to do some really corrupt, messed up crap to your own people. To them, you're just a monkey in military uniform. Your uniform right here, black people came back from World War II, they were still hung on trees. You have trained a substantial number, especially in the, the Gulf of Guinea uh, states, um, uh, but in, including- like More than 10,000? It is more than 10,000. More than 50,000? I say we're, we're reaching around 50,000 okay. at least. And, and, and what percentage of the people we've trained end up participating in insurrections or coups against their own government? Very small number, Congressman. Very small number. So what percentage do you think? I'd say probably less than 1%. But it does uh, happen. The, I, the IMET program is in, in force. In, uh, you know what comes to mind? Bay of Pigs, JFK. I mean, 
when these people get captured or they fail, you guys aren't going to pull them out. You're going to let them get tortured and whatever face, whatever punishment they are facing for betraying their own people. Very interesting. Going to abandon them like JFK abandoned those natives who wanted to fight during Bay of Pigs. Bombed the hell out of them. And we've pushed a number, uh, a significant number through our schools uh, across the yeah, and, and what data control. sets do you track to arrive at the conclusion that less than 1% of the roughly 50,000 that we've trained have participated in coups? Because um, it would be like about 500, about 1% of 50,000. Uh, Congressman, you may have that information. I, I don't at this time. But I know well, I know there are some, right? Like in, go ahead and throw up that image. This is... Uh, Colonel Mamadei Dumbuya, and this is a photo of, of him. Did we train and equip him in Guinea? Uh, by name, I, I cannot identify that. Well, well, that guy in the middle with the big red hat, Colonel Mamadei Dumbuya, that, that's him with a bunch of U.S. service members outside of our embassy. And just months after this photo was taken in 2021, he led a coup in Guinea and, and threw out the, the leader. Does that concern you? Congressman, core values is what we start off with in IMA pr programs. Do we, we share stick core values with Colonel Dumbuya? Core values. I will repeat that. Core values. I know, respect I know. for humanity. Do we, do we share those values with Colonel Dumbuya? Absolutely. In our, in our curriculum. He led a coup. We do. Okay. Well, I, I, that's a very telling answer. In Burkina Faso, did we share core values with the uh, leader that we trained there who led a coup? It's in our curriculum. We leading stress core values, request civilian-led governance. Wait, 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 uh, so wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is leading coups in our curriculum? Absolutely not. So civilian-led, civilian-led. My question is, do we share core values with the coup leader in Burkina Faso who we trained? Holistically, we teach whole, uh, uh, you know, core values uh, with respect for civilian governance apolitical and that's what sticks across a, a high very high percentage in the 90, 90 over but not 90 everybody percentile. Right? but not everybody and and when it i wonder how many people it takes to to plan a coup i mean initially you didn't know how many we trained and equipped then you said it was one percent you had no base basis for that one percent number because there's no data set you track mr chairman i seek to, uh, unanimous consent to enter into the record another u.s trained soldier stages a coup in west africa by the intercept Without objection, so ordered. And I, I further seek unanimous consent to enter into the record. U.S. forces trained the Guinea colonel behind the recent coup in West African country, and this is regard to Guinea. Without objection, so ordered. So I guess the, the question is, why should U.S. taxpayers be paying to train people who then lead coups in Africa? Your tax dollars are being used to cause bloodshed. <laughs> You're a black person, you have to see something wrong about this. Okay? Especially if you're a pro-black. I mean, I'm not pro-black, but I do see this is something that's very evil. Okay? It's been going on for decades. You should be very concerned. Even if you're not black, you should be very concerned. All right? If you're not a racist scumbag, that is. Congressman, 
our curriculum harvest this core values and also uh, to, uh, to be able to embolden these countries for a representative democracy. But, but, but General, that democracy isn't what emerges. The problem is... I democracy? You mean you get the vote and you get the turnout and you get the subservitude that you want? This is not democracy. This is tyranny. That's what it's about. But it's crazy that a black man is doing this. And you think you're equal to these monsters. That's another thing, too. I know you, you may have great confidence in what you're teaching, but when two governments have been overthrown, I guess how many governments have to be overthrown by people we train before you sort of get the message that our core values might not be sticking with everyone? Is it five countries? Ten? We'll, we'll continue with our persistence in assuring but do you think it's that, they harbor, they, that they harbor democratic norms, you, democratic values. Just a moment ago, you said, you said we shared core values with Colonel Dimbuya. You said, you said that just moments ago in response to my question, and his core value seems to be leading a coup. So I, I don't think it's stuck. I think we should at least know how many countries we train the coup plotters in. Uh, how many is too many? Because clearly two is not too many, and I think we could use our resources far more effectively than doing this. Yep. True. I agree. I, I definitely agree. All right. But on to some more colonizing news. Okay. Let's see what Mr. Lindsey Graham has to say. Wow. Have been terrorizing Americans for decades. We're going to unleash the fury and might of the United States against these cartels we're going to destroy their business model all this time you want to destroy all this time you let cartels run wild and now you wanted to come after them hmm interesting very interesting how many of you think they're really coming after the lithium and oil that mexico has and their lifestyle because our national security and the security of the United States as a whole depends on us taking decisive action. I have a two-step approach to this, but first I want to just say we've been talking about doing something against the Mexican drug cartels regarding foreign terrorist organization designation for a decade, since 2012. Senator Kennedy and I are going to join forces. We believe Democrats will be involved to label these organizations as foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law. That's the top of the food chain. An FTO designation is the highest designation you can give a criminal terrorist enterprise that's not a nation state. What would it mean? It means that all the precursors coming for China, 
Chinese chemical companies and Chinese enterprises would be subject to being prosecuted under U.S. law for providing material support to foreign terrorist organizations, something you can't do today. So we're going to open up the prosecution lane. But I'm a firm believer that the prosecution model as it exists today is not working. So what are we going to do? We're going to up the ante. We're going to designate these groups and others, if appropriate, foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law, changing the game for those who provide assistance to them. What drives this is fentanyl. It's been a game changer. More people died in the United States from fentanyl poisoning than car wrecks and gun violence combined. My thing is, like, you guys knew about this. You knew about China and the fent fentanyl situation, the drug trade with fentanyl. What were you getting in return? You let this slide for a long time, okay? Just like the war on drugs, okay? It was fine when black people were getting hit with it, okay? Because you wanted that school-to-prison pipeline, okay? That's what you wanted. It was okay. But then when white people start getting affected by it, then it became a problem. Especially when it came to the fentanyl, probably. Okay? That's how it is. White people could get the sniffles. Black people are expected to get the flu. But when it's the other way around, now we have to speak up about it. Fentanyl is becoming the leading cause of death for Americans ages 18 to 45. 200 Americans die every day due to fentanyl overdoses. Fentanyl overdoses cause the equivalent of a new September 11th every two weeks. I think John and I believe that if there were an ISIS or Al-Qaeda cell in Mexico that lobbed a rocket into Texas, we'd wipe them off the planet. They're doing that times thousands and our response is inadequate. Hmm. Very interesting. Let's see what the president of Mexico has to say though. Let's see about that. We are not going to permit any foreign government to intervene in our territory, much less that foreign region. Mm. De un gobierno extranjero en nuestro territorio. Nada más. I would just like to tell them that either they change their treatment of Mexico or from the, today. We will. Que o cambian su trato hacia México o 
desde hoy comenzamos con una campaña we will start an information campaign in the United States so that all Mexicans are know about nuestros paisanos sepan de esta this aggression by Republicans against Mexico and if they continue with this attitude we will insist that not one a México y si continúan con esa actitud Vamos a estar right, not one. Eh, insistiendo de que ni un Mexican voto de mexicanos, not de one hispanos, Hispanic que vote. es un pueblo independiente, independent, costó mucho. De allá donde están hablando, todo eso era de México. México. Porque ayer fue el colmo. So was story, according to the report presented to me this morning, this man, Republican el informe que me presentaron Hoy por la mañana, este señor se atreve a decir There's que to say that going to use the armed forces of the United States as an invasion. para este, introducirse en nuestro territorio. Es una invasión y podríamos acudir a la ONU. Por eso estamos iniciando. Queremos ver incluso la reacción de otros legisladores del Partido Republicano. A ver qué opinan. They start a war, man. They start, they're trying to start a war. That's what they're trying to do. Mexico's not having it because you're not going over there. You waited so long. This has been going on for decades with these cartels, okay? People getting kidnapped, people... You had a Mexican uh, musician, right? And his buddies, they made a song about mocking the cart a cartel leader. Next thing you know, him and his buddy lose their heads and they're placed on the dance floor. You know, a lot of things going on down there. A lot. Things like that. If the United States came down there to try to actually help against the cartels, maybe... Two out of those six black people who went down to Mexico would be alive. They're not doing it for to, to tackle cartels. Republicans, remember, Republicans are the ones that are known for big business, getting money any way they can, using people any way they can, getting cheap labor any way they can. Okay. Even when it comes to illegal immigration, Republicans will say they're against it, but they will have those illegal immigrants smuggled over here as well <clears throat> and use them for cheap labor to teach their kids another language, cut their grass, mow their lawn, raise their cattle, and work in their companies for cheap labor, paying them pennies on the dollar. That is how they are. And both sides are benefiting, benefiting from this. All right. Let's talk about this uh, situation going on in Tel Aviv. All right, here we are. 
three people were wounded after a Palestinian shooter opened fire in a street in Tel Aviv yesterday. Israeli police say the gunman was later shot and killed. The incident came just hours after the Israeli military carried out another raid in the occupied West Bank, killing three Palestinian militants. NBC News foreign correspondent Raf Sanchez joins us now from Tel Aviv. So, Raf, I mean, this cycle of violence does not appear to be slowing down. Walk us through these latest incidents and what the situation is like right now. Well, Joe, there is a real feeling here on the grounds that this situation is only going to get worse. As you said, a Palestinian gunman from the militant group Hamas opening fire on civilians in a busy street in the very heart of Tel Aviv last night. Three people were injured in that attack. One of them, a 32-year-old man, remains in critical condition in hospital with life-threatening injuries, according to Israeli officials. Now, Hamas, when they claimed responsibility for this attack, they said it was in response to these Israeli military raids we've been seeing in the occupied West Bank. Yesterday morning, Israeli forces killed three Palestinian militants from the group Islamic Jihad, and that came just two days after they killed six militants up in the northern West Bank. So, Joe, really no sign of this violence slowing down at all. Yes, yeah, so Raf, and we know U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was in Israel yesterday. What's he saying about this escalation in violence? Well, he's been appealing for calm, and Lloyd Austin, like the rest of the Biden administration, a very strong supporter of Israel's security. He said the bond between Israel and the U.S. is unbreakable. He expressed condolences to recent Israeli victims of violence. But he also said the Israeli government, this new right-wing government that includes members of the far right, needs to be doing much more to scale down the rhetoric on their side to do what they can to restore calm. Take a listen to what he had to say. The United States also remains firmly opposed to any acts that could trigger more insecurity, including settlement expansion and inflammatory rhetoric. And we're especially disturbed by violence by settlers against Palestinians. So we'll continue to oppose actions that could push a two-state solution further out of reach. Now, Joe, you heard him talk about a two-state solution there, the idea of an independent Palestinian state alongside a secure Israel. This new Israeli government opposes that policy, which is supported by the Biden administration, and it feels further off than ever. Joe. And, you know, Raf, you've been following. Well, Israel is very far right, okay, and they want to dominate all of Israel, and they want to, they'll, take, they'll want to take Palestine as well. Okay. The government is now extremely far right. Okay. They're very much um, indoctrinated with that Talmud. Very much they see that other ethnic groups are inferior. And uh, that's it. Very in line. The Talmud is very much kind of like white supremacy, but it's for you know who these massive protests against Israel's controversial judicial reforms. We understand Israel's president has been weighing in on the matter. What's the latest there? 
Yeah, so Israel's president, he is a largely ceremonial figure, but his words carry a lot of moral weight. And he carried out a primetime address last night here in Israel saying that these reforms, these very controversial reforms, were a disaster, that they were tearing the country apart. And he pleaded with Netanyahu to scrap them, to replace them with some kind of compromise that could garner much broader support among Israeli society. Right at this point, though, we are seeing no sign from Netanyahu or his government that they are prepared to back down on these plans to weaken Israel's Supreme Court. All right. Raf Sanchez in Tel Aviv. Raf, thank you so much. That's how it is, man. That is how it is. All right. Okay. Tel Aviv, Israel, a Palestinian gunman opened fire on a crowd street, crowded street in central Tel Aviv late Thursday, wounding three people before he was shot and killed. The Israeli officials said the shooting came hours after an Israeli military raid killed three Palestinian militants in the occupied West Bank. The incidents were the latest violence in a year-long wave of Israel-Palestine fighting that shows no signs of slowing. The Tel Aviv shooting occurred on a Dizengoff Street, a popular thoroughfare filled with shops and restaurants. The city was filled with people on Thursday night, the start of the Tel Aviv weekend, and as anti-government protests were taking place in the Mediterranean city. An image on social media showed that what believed to be the attacker standing in the middle of the road as he pointed a pistol, the, the Mada Rescue Service said one of the wounded was in critical condition, while authorities said security forces in the area quickly killed the shooter. Footage from the security camera inside a restaurant showed the gunman approaching three pedestrians from behind on a sidewalk across the street. He shoots one in the head, leaving him motionless on the ground as the other two pedestrians flee. Also, amateur video apparently taken a short while later shows the attacker trapped in an alley, a several arms um, Israeli stand around the corner. A man could be heard shouting, close the window to the resident as the suspect ran out of the valley. He was shot multiple times. Dozens of the police and rescuers rushed to the scene, which was quickly condoned off. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was in Rome, said the government was working to strengthen the security forces and the people who are fighting terrorists this night and every night. Earlier Thursday, three Palestinian militants were killed in a shootout with Israeli troops in Northern West Bank. Israeli security forces said they raided the village of Jabba, to arrest suspects wanted for attacks on Israeli soldiers in the area. The suspects opened fire on Israeli troops who shot back and killed three people, all affiliated with the Palestinian Islamic Jihad militant group, police said. Palestinian Health Ministry Health Ministry identified the men as Suvan Fokohuri, 26, Naive Malaysia, 25, and Ahmed Pashka, 22, said they were shot by Israeli firing Israeli fire during the military operation. A fourth man was hospitalized with a bullet wound to the head. Authorities added, Israeli police released photo of the assault rifles, pistols, ammunition, and explosive devices they said troops confiscated in Jabba, just south of the flashpoint city of Jenin. 
gunman shot down an Israeli drone during the clashes, the military said. The Jabba military group, a fledgling militia of dissolution young Palestinians, have taken up guns against Israel's occupation, said members opening fire and hurled explosive device at Israel forces from a sedan. That now sits smashed and bloodied in the center of a town. Residents said Israeli troops killed members of the group who had been recently incarcerated by Israel and had carried out a recent shooting attack at a nearby checkpoint. This year has been marked by escalating unrest across the West Bank as Israel <clears throat> as Israeli arrest raids spiral into protracted firefights with armed Palestinians. On a visit to Israel, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin told reporters on Thursday that he discussed concerns over the upsurge in violence in the occupied West Bank with his Israeli counterpart, Defense Minister Yovai Golan. The United States was urging everyone to de-escalate, the Defense Secretary said, particularly in the run-up to the Islamic holy month of Ramadan, which coincides this year with the Jewish holiday of Passover. Just great. Great. The U.S. remains firmly opposed to acts that could trigger further instability, including settlement inspection, inspection and inflammatory rhetoric. Austin said, adding that he was especially disturbed by settler violence against Palestinians. We will continue to oppose actions that put two-state solution out of reach. <clears throat> Netanyahu's far-right government, which took office last year, has already approved thousands of new settlements, homes, legalized unauthorized outposts, built partially on private Palestinian land and pledged to further entrench Israel rule over the occupied territory. You see what I'm saying here? You see what I'm saying? This is the Talmud. <clears throat> the mind of a person who's, in, who's influenced by the Talmud. Last month, in response to a Palestinian attack that killed two Israelis, mob of settlers rampaged through the Palestinian town of Harara and torched dozens of homes and businesses, leaving one man dead. The Israeli military on Thursday issued a report into the rampage that identified a series of failures, including an insufficient number of soldiers in the area and the, needed to, and the need to send reinforcements faster. It said lessons were drawn about coordination between the army, police, and interna internal security agents. This is a severe incident that took place under our responsibility and should not have happened, said Israeli military chief, Lieutenant Cole Herzi Halavi. Austin urged for a calm, even as the Gaza-based Islamic Jihad issued a veiled threat, saying its fighters would respond to the morning raid to deter the enemy and avenge the blood of its martyrs. Rocket fire from Gaza Strip has previously followed violence in the West Bank. The Jabba armed group includes gunmen from various factions, including Islamic Jihad and the armed offshoots of the nationalist Fatah party. Militants in the village say that Islamic Jihad supports the group and provides members with weapons. The group is part of a larger trend of emerging armed groups across the West Bank that have been mounting shooting, shooting attacks on Israeli soldiers and civilians and opening fire during Israeli raids on their towns. The finding increasingly unpopular Palestinian authority in areas of the Northern West Bank where much of the fighting has been focused. The PA's control and receding as young Palestinians' hopes dim for statehood. The hard scrabble streets of Jabba deemed with young Palestinians in black chanting across, chanting against the Israeli occupation and firing into the air as they held the bodies of militants aloft. 
Yosef Hamar, a 28-year-old in the funeral in the funeral procession, said Palestinian rage at Israel is only intensifying with the stepped-up arrest raids. Everyone's in shock. Everyone's angry, said Hamar. Every single day, they're killing more and more of us. If they attack us, we'll attack them. What if you guys could actually um, have actual logical uh, peace? Okay. But the problem is, is that Benjamin Netanyahu doesn't want that. He wants to take over Palestine. Okay. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't care about peace with the Palestinians. Earlier in the week, at least six Palestinians were killed in an Israeli raid in the Jenin refugee camp. The Palestinian health minister said that 14-year-old Walid Nasser died Thursday from wounds suffered in Tuesday's raid. At least 74 Palestinians, around half of them affiliated with the militant groups, have died in Israel's raids in the West Bank since the beginning of the year. During the same time, 14 people, all but one of them civilians, were killed in Palestinian attacks against Israelis. Israel captured the West Bank along with the Gaza Strip in East Jerusalem. In the 1967 Mideast War, territories the Palestinians seek for their future state in the decades since more than 700,000 Jewish settlers have moved into dozens of settlements in the West Bank. In Israel, annexed East Jerusalem, which, with, which the t international community considers illegal and obstacle to peace. I don't see any peace happening with these two. I don't see it. Okay. And you have these Abrahamic Accords that Trump was working on. I don't see that working either. I don't know how long that's gonna last, but it's gonna be a brief, short uh, piece, all right? That's what I see about it, okay? Let's talk about Europe still purchasing Russian oil. Let's talk about that, Let's let's get into that. Why is that? Since you guys want to shame Russia and try to bully Russia. Let's talk about that real quick, shall we? When Russian tanks rolled down in Ukraine, the West decided to teach Moscow a lesson. It imposed sanctions, spoke about not doing business with Moscow anymore, and asked the world to do the same especially countries like India. You see, Europe and America lectured India, told it not to buy Russian oil, to stop dealing with Moscow, to be on the right side of history. Yes, those were the exact words they used. But guess what? The same Europe that lectured India is still doing business with Moscow. This report came out in January. It said Europe is still buying over a quarter of diesel imports from Russia. What happened to the pledge of not buying Russian oil? The promises of punishing Moscow by restricting oil imports. Have a look at the numbers. According to S&P data, during the first 18 days of January, Russian diesel exports to the EU, Norway and the UK averaged a total of 448,000 barrels a day. In December 2022, this figure was even greater. 
That month, Russian diesel exports stood at 663,000 barrels per day. And if I speak of the overall picture, Russian diesel makes up 27% of Europe's total imports during January and December. This graph further tells you the story. Throughout 2022, Europe has bought a steady amount of oil from Russia. The imports dipped in mid-2022, only to pick up again by the end of the year. And what does this tell you? That despite trying to cut back on Russian oil, Europe is still buying more of it than anyone else. And there's even data to back this. According to estimates from the Center for Research on Energy and Clean Air, since the invasion started, Russia has made more than $315 billion in revenue from fossil fuel exports around the world, with nearly half or around $149 billion coming from EU countries. The question is, which countries are the top importers of Russian energy? Well, as one might expect, China remains the top buyer. It accounts for 88% of the imports. But do you know who is on the second spot? Germany. That's right. Germany remains the second largest importer of Russian fossil fuels. It has bought fossil fuels worth 66.6 billion since the war started. Turkey comes third. India is on the fourth spot. But after this, all the spots are taken by Western countries. The Netherlands, Italy, Poland, France, Belgium, Hungary, Bulgaria, Slovakia. That is nine out of 12 top importers. They are all European countries. You think that's bad? Then you must look at this report. According to the NGO Greenpeace, France continues to import enriched Russian uranium. In fact, last Monday, a cargo ship arrived at a French port. It unloaded an array of uranium cylinders from Russia. The NGO says this delivery confirms France's dependence on Moscow, especially on its nuclear industry, which is not covered by sanctions. Here's what it said in a statement. This is a new illustration that the French nuclear industry continues to trade uranium with Rosatom, the Russian state nuclear giant. The continuation of this nuclear trade with Russia in times of war is scandalous. Scandalous, it certainly is. What's even worse is that this was the seventh delivery of uranium to France since the war started. The seventh. According to the report, France has received enough uranium to operate its nuclear plants for over a year. Now, what would you call this? Hypocrisy? Betrayal? Or deception? From where we see it, the answer is all three. And it's not just about Russia here. It's also about the climate. Europe also said that. Pretty much, pretty much a very, you know, stab in the back. Because Russia is sitting on a lot of oil, which is known as black gold. And they also have a lot of gold. And that's basically what it's about, this war. Okay. But I'm having a lot of thoughts about Russia and this war now. Kind of frightening, but... I'll get more information on that and I'll talk about it. That it would be ending its dependency on fossil fuels. You remember COP26? It was held in October 2021. 
in presence were all European leaders and they assembled to acknowledge the urgency of the climate crisis. They set targets for the others, goals to be achieved by 2050. Chief among them was ending coal burning, phasing out the world's reliance on coal. In a nutshell, Europe pledged to lead the way. It promised to consign coal to history and shift to renewable sources of energy. But ever since the war started, the same Europe is leading the march in the opposite direction. It is conveniently turning back to coal, no questions asked. In late 2022, as many as six European countries reactivated coal-fired power plants. This was to compensate for the loss of Russian gas and to keep the lights on during winter. Germany was the first to do this. In the first week of July, Germany passed a legislation. It allowed coal-fired power plants to be reactivated when the supplies were low. And this will apply till 2024. So Germany plans to use coal power for the next two years. Same with Austria. They had a mothballed coal power station. It was shut in 2020. And last we checked, Austria had fired up its chimneys again. And then we come to the Netherlands. It has activated an energy crisis plan, removed caps on coal power plants, meaning that it has lifted the restrictions on burning coal for energy. It has allowed factories to run on full capacity until 2023. France also is on the list. In November, it restarted a coal power plant, went back to using coal to generate electricity. And this is despite France implementing a zero coal policy in 2021. The UK also plans to join the bandwagon. Last year, the British government asked the coal power plants to be on standby to generate electricity, to be ready to burn coal if asked to do so. Last week, the BBC carried this report. It said emergency coal power plants have become operational once again. So European countries are reopening coal plants. Here's a question. Where will they get the coal from? Last we heard, Europe had pronounced coal mining as catastrophic. It had all but stopped producing coal. So where will they get it from? Where else but from the developing world? The EU has launched a hunt to secure coal supplies. In June 2022 alone, it imported 7.9 million tons of thermal coal. Just for perspective, around the same time in 2021, they got 2 million tons of coal. So this is a four-fold jump. Now have a look at the source. 1.2 million tons of coal came from Colombia, 854,000 tons from South Africa, and 1.1 million tons from Australia. And these are just the big suppliers. Europe is also importing more coal from Indonesia, Mozambique, Namibia, Nigeria. Do you know what will be the impact of these decisions? Emissions are expected to hit record levels. According to analysts, coal imports to the EU will be 43% higher in 2023. And this will release an additional 10 million tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. 10 million tons in one year. Where does this leave their climate goals, their promises to become carbon neutral? The EU is not talking about any of this because running their air conditioners is more important. Now, here's the thing. 
We know that desperate diseases need desperate remedies. We know that Europe is going through a power crisis due to the war. It needs to keep the lights on. But this was the same argument given by the developing countries. They need power to run their factories. They lack sources of alternative energy. Their economies are more vulnerable to drastic shifts. Their economies are heavily dependent on Russia. This is this is hilarious, man. This is hilarious. You guys are so hard for climate change. You want to put all these oppressive um, restrictions on Western nations that they understand that they need Russia now. <clears throat> they need Russia. They need, <laughs> and it, it's it's funny. Okay, try to get a price. You try to you know monopolize the oil. Now you realize you got you need Russian oil. Um, this is hilarious. It really is, and you need the coal. So much for climate change. Yeah, this is this is comical. Europe had none of it. It remained sanctimonious. It lectured the global south, told them to shut their factories and ration coal, told them to stop doing business with the Russians. And now that Europe is in a fix, it does not think twice before turning to coal. It does not think twice before going back to Russia. They can change the rules while keeping the moral high ground. They can change the goalposts while dictating the rules to the others. This is classic Western hypocrisy. And that is why the West is hated by a lot of other countries. This is why you have BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And other countries are going to be joining suit. That's what's going to happen. Okay. Now let's talk about um, what's going on with the Ukraine. With uh, <laughs> this funny story right here. <laughs> uh, let's talk about it here. Oh, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it right here. Oh man, this is hilarious. Told you about these Ukrainian refugees, man. Told you about they they really <laughs> school boss quits over complaints about Ukrainian refugees. Japan headmaster reportedly refused to apologize for his remarks. The president of a Japan, Japanese language school has reportedly resigned after calling Ukrainian refugees elite ref, re, Ukrainian students elite refugees who get more than they deserve from the government. The Nippon Academy in Meibeshi, Japan, announced on Monday that Mayasumi Shimizu would step down from his position. Local newspaper Asashi Asahai Shibun reported on Thursday, Shimizu's school has accepted 38 Ukrainian students who objected when management asked them to start paying for tuition after receiving several months for free. <laughs> Speaking at a press conference last month, Shimizu referred to the students as robbers and elite refugees who enjoy free rent and tax exemptions while Asian students struggle to make men's ends meet. Shimizu comments went public and the school was reprimanded by prefectural authorities. These authorities then announced that the Ukrainian students who wish to continue learning Japanese would receive payments to do so while continuing to enjoy free housing and assistance with living expenses. The Mayanichi newspaper reported 
the former school director refused to apologize as he stepped down, insisting that the perfectual, the preferential government is doing far more than it should for these Ukrainians. Shimizu added that the refugees, some of whom told the man Shivi that his remarks caused them emotional damage, are acting like a privileged class. Shimizu said that he was urged to resign by the school's board of management. The Asahi Shimbun reported a similar incident last year, which an Afghan asylum seeker in Japan condemned the government's apparent double standards in relation to Ukrainian refugees. He claimed that Tokyo was giving Ukrainians preferential treatment and an extremely political move. Japan has taken in around 2,300 Ukrainian refugees since last February, the majority of whom speak little to no Japanese. An ethnically and linguistically homogeneous society, Japan has traditionally kept its doors closed to refugees and immigrants and accepted a record of 74 asylum applications in 2021, up from 27 the year before. Ukrainians in Japan are not technically recognized as refugees, a designation that would grant them five-year visas. Instead, they are given one-year work permits with a possibility of extension. Uh, boy, I'm telling you, man, all these people that are, these countries taking in these Ukrainian refugees, they're finding out the hard way what they are like. Let me read these comments. S. Navavanti says, G7 regimes so divorced from their people. Another one. Wow, someone in Japan with balls. I'm glad someone like him still exists in Japan. He is correct. Everywhere these Ukrainian refugees go, they leave the locals angry and threatened and, insult and insulted by their arrogance. Another one here. Born in Holland and left the, that place in 1966 after having been drafted for two years and sent overseas for one year of that, the worst thing to be in Holland, we always said, was to be a Dutchman. Leaving Holland and never returned was the best decision ever made. Okay. And there's another one. They are not Ukrainians, but traitors who would run away when your country's at war. Only coward elites. Uh... Well, your country's falling apart. You know, your leader is a joke and doesn't care about you. While your country's at war, he is doing interviews with David Letterman. His wife is going to other countries spending, what, $4,000, $400,000 on a dress when that money could be given to the Ukrainian people. Yeah, your country's screwed up and it's out to lunch leave while you still can all right there's another one from king 53 Zelensky and biden will kill 1 million people of ukraine and they will be nobel prize winners it's how the west works and operate disgusting devils it's the last one i'll read in japan when even africans working for organizations such as their governments and their agencies as well as commercial businesses are rejected by dozens of hotels japan does not care for foreigners as they like to keep the society as one in balance and with Japanese culture and lifestyle. Deep down, that is what the majority prefer. But with U.S. constant wars, some 201 of them since 1945 to the year 2001 caused mass migration. The U.S. post 9-11 wars in Afghanistan, Syria, Libya have displaced at least 38 million people in and from Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, the Philippines, Libya, and Syria. A note on the Syria is that another 6.8 million people are displaced within their own country and have been left where they stand for 12 years. Thank you to the USA for disrupting <clears throat> these lives and the lives of their hosts 
where mass migration is causing social hell in some quarters with these mass exodus. Yet one wonders if this is the plan of the USA to cause Europe to cut off its major energy supplier, killing the EU economy in one stroke and removing the potential European expansion with Russian gas and intertrade between the European nations and Eurasia with China adding in the road and rail networks, thus pushing the US back, um, US to a, a backwater. Who knows? Who knows? So I could say, who knows? All right. But um, that was a funny read. It was. It was a funny read. I'll tell you that much. Because all these other countries are now popping up and saying how bad these Ukrainian refugees are. Okay. I don't think all of them are like that, but I uh, I kind of think maybe they are. Hate to say it, I think maybe they are. Yeah, understand. All right, these people have given a healthy dose of racism, ethnocentrism, and a strong white supremacist mindset due to Stepan Bandera, okay, who idolized Adolf Hitler, okay. And this has been going on for decades. And if you look, you know, if you could find information, you will see that when Zelensky was giving his two, 2023 New Year's uh, speech, you will see pictures of Ukrainians at home at the dinner table doing the Nazi salute. Okay? These people have been given, like I said, a very healthy I shouldn't say healthy, a very unhealthy dose of white supremacy. This is what they think. They think they are better than everybody else. All right. Okay. So let's talk about TikTok. Let's talk about that. Okay. Let's get into that. Let's let's talk about TikTok. arguably the world's most popular app. I'm talking about TikTok. It's popular because it has... The story lies in a question. Is TikTok fun? Sorry about that. I had a little um, problem right here arguably the world's most popular app. I'm talking about TikTok. It's popular because it has become not only a source of communication, but a source of popular culture as well. But that is not our story tonight. The story lies in a question. Is TikTok fun? Or is it the most widespread system of spying that the world has ever known? Is TikTok a tool through which the Chinese government collects data on users and picks up information? I ask these questions because when India stopped TikTok in 2020, others were reluctant to follow. And today, America and Canada have taken action against this Chinese-owned, Chinese-run application. 
They have both banned TikTok from government devices and are contemplating a complete ban. And why? I think the real reason why they want to ban TikTok is the simple fact that on TikTok you get uncensored news. You get news that is unbiased, and the people and you have people who are content creators on TikTok that are actually giving you the facts better than mainstream media. That's the real reason why they want to ban TikTok. And yeah, maybe they are spying. I'm I don't know. Not sure. But I do know the reason why they hate TikTok is because TikTok is giving people information that the mainstream media refuses to give up, refuses to divulge to the public. And they claim to be the people that you could trust. We have learned, thankfully, through TikTok and other alternative sources of media, we cannot trust the government. And they are being puppets, being told by the billionaires who owned these big media companies what to say. Regardless if it hurts people, regardless if it kills people. And we are slowly going into a communist society. We are slowly going to have white supremacy rule this nation. That is what's going to happen. It's going to be Nazi Germany in America. Soon to be that way. Why is that? National security. Second this. Here. Let me start with America. This morning, the White House gave the government agencies 30 days to ensure that the app is removed from federal devices. Meaning that in the next 30 days, the app must be eliminated from all phones and systems that are issued by the government of the United States. And why is that? Due to the fear that China could be using this app to snoop on American officials. And Canada has taken a similar step. It has banned this Chinese. My thing is, why does Joe Biden care when you are so happy with the Chinese social credit system. Basically, that is, uh, um, if you say something that is not popular to people, they can report you and you could lose your job or your kids can't go to college, stuff like that. The same social credit system they have in China. Why do you care if TikTok, you know, if China spies on us? Because you want to adopt their type of government anyway, why do you care? That's what I want to know. This application from all government-issued devices. And the reason is the same. A growing fear that TikTok could be collecting personal user information and sending it back to the regime that governs its operations. We're making the decision that uh, for government uh, employees, for government equipment, um, it is better uh, to not have them access TikTok uh, because of the concerns uh, that people have in terms of safety. Uh, this may be a first step. It may be the only step. Isn't the government, our government doing the same thing? Isn't Western governments doing the same thing to their own people? That's what I want to know. What, what, why do you care? And this is the man who says that, you know, for employers, you know, he's given them a what $75,000 bonus if they want to have uh, a, uh, 
sex change. Supposed to take these people seriously? Yeah. All right. We need to take, but every step of the way, we're going to be making sure uh, we're keeping Canadians safe. Now, here's the thing. These steps by the U.S. and Canada might impact only a small portion of TikTok's user base. But they could set in motion a wave of suspicion that will affect TikTok severely, especially in the United States. The U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee is set to vote on a legislation that will give the U.S. President Joe Biden the authority to ban TikTok, which is used by 100 million Americans. Plus, next month, the company's CEO is set to testify before a U.S. Commerce Committee. American observers say the grilling could culminate into the application being completely eliminated from American soil. And they also say such a ban would be unprecedented, unparalleled in its scale and impact. But by saying so, they are overlooking a major precedent, a precedent that India set way back in 2020. In June that year, the Indian government issued a sweeping ban on TikTok, citing issues of privacy and national sovereignty, at that time, TikTok had 200 million users in India. This was its largest market outside the mainland. Within a matter of 24 hours, India decimated this market. And this move came after weeks of escalating tensions, followed by violent clashes along the border. It was a digital strike no one expected. A strike that made China understand that it cannot underestimate India. That if talks and terror cannot go hand in hand with Pakistan, neither can border aggression and business with China. The point I'm trying to make is quite simple. New Delhi dealt with Beijing in the only language that it understands. And that's the language of strength. So why can't the West do the same? What is it so scared of? I ask these questions because for the last two years, America has been in two minds about banning Chinese applications. It has been debating the pros and the cons, weighing the costs and the benefits, assessing the gains and losses. And after two long years, when it finally does take a decision, it restricts that to federal employees. That's merely a few thousand people. Just what is stopping America from imposing a nationwide ban? Does TikTok pose it only to the federal employees? Is it not a threat to the countless American teenagers who use it? Are we to believe that the app is stealing the data of the government officials and not the data of the common man? I mean, what sort of logic are the American policymakers even implementing here? And it's not like they don't have enough evidence. From the FBI to the Pentagon to the CIA, time and again, various government organizations have raised fears that TikTok's owner, ByteDance, could be misusing the personal information of TikTok's American users, that it could be handing this information to the Chinese regime, which could then be using it for propaganda or pushing disinformation. And why just American agencies? 
TikTok's parent company itself has admitted to unintentional snooping. Have a look at this headline. In December 2020, an internal investigation by ByteDance found that four of its employees had inappropriately obtained the data of American TikTok users. And this included the data of two American reporters who worked for BuzzFeed and the Financial Times. And it doesn't end here. On your screen is a piece from the year 2018. It is about a meeting organized by the Internal Party Committee of ByteDance. This meeting was to learn how to quote-unquote implement the spirit of national propaganda. Why does a private company have a party committee? Well, because the law in China requires every company to set up party committees. Every company must have three or more members of the Communist Party, which means that the Chinese state is present in every boardroom of China. And that's not even all. China's national intelligence law makes it legally binding on all Chinese companies, and I repeat, all companies, to share the data and intelligence. So any Chinese app which says your user data is secure and is not being shared with China is lying. And this includes TikTok. From every video you upload on the app to how long you watch those videos, to which videos you like, to which videos you share, to any messages that you exchange, your age, your contact list, your address. TikTok is recording all of this about you. And by all means, sharing it with its masters in Beijing. Okay. All right. But why wait till now to do this? Why wait till now? And we got to... Why wait till now to do this? Why? As I said before, we have a president that wants to adapt China's social credit system. May I also add that this is a man that wants to go to the Supreme Court and have the right to have cops enter your home and, and get your guns, get your firearms. Joe Biden is very much similar to um the, the Chinese president Xi Ping he, he's very much similar to him acting this way it's like why do you care when you're basically you're the same person it's just that you're you're uh you're white and you're a democratic president that's slowly enforcing socialist, socialist communist rule. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't, but, um, I'm going to leave it here for now. I hope you enjoyed the stream. Um, those of you that like to be informed about news and what's going on in our world today, that's about it. Okay. Like, share, comment, and subscribe. For more information about this channel, look into the description box later.